in preparation for this, was thinking about like what what could I share with you this morning, um, and I had I had about a month to prepare, so um, I promise the sermon won't be that long. But um, I was thinking that I would share with you about Christian disciplines, and um, perhaps at some point in the future. I'll have the opportunity to share that with you. I had an outline and everything figured out. Um, but God put on my heart to come back to a subject that I have spent a considerable amount of time on in the last few years. And that is the great commandment. And uh, so this morning, uh, I will be returning to the subject of the great commandment. Um, and I, I think that God is putting that on my heart uh, for a reason, that there is a, a purpose behind it, and that that this great commandment is um, to be so much a part of our lives as Christians. It is the the very um, recognition of who we are as Christians to love God and to love our neighbors. In fact, it's supposed to be the very thing that identifies us as Christians to the world. I'm going to read some quotes to you. Uh, St. Augustine said, I would hate my own soul if I did not find it loving God. Uh, St. Bonaventure said, An old woman can love God better than a doctor of theology can. Ouch. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Give me such love for God and men as it will blot out all hatred and bitterness. Uh, Johann Wolfgang said, We are shaped and fashioned by what we love. St. John of the Cross said, Love unites the soul with God, and the more we love, the, the, more we love, the soul has more and the more powerfully enter into God and is centered on Him. C.S. Lewis says, a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. Albert Schweitzer said, Only through love can we attain communion with God. And William Temple said, The love of God is the root, and the love of our neighbor is the fruit of the tree of life. Neither can exi exist without the other, but one is the cause and the other the effect. Would you stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word? We'll be in Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 28. One of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said, He is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love God uh, to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared question him any longer. Father God, we lift up this morning to you. We pray that through your word you would speak to our hearts. That by your Holy Spirit you would write your word upon our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would be challenged this morning to love you with all of our heart, strength, mind, and soul. And so, Lord, we lift this up to you this morning and ask that you would speak to us as we learn from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Remember uh, something about this episode. There were four groups here um, that were speaking uh, to Jesus. Um, And in Jesus' day, there was really five groups that were uh, opposed to the teachings of Christ. But there were four that were present at this very moment, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and the scribes. The group that wasn't there with Christ is Essenes. Um, Essenes were religious separatists. Uh, they don't really come up in the Bible, uh, but they were uh, certainly influential at the time of Christ. And they held a view where they would live apart from the world, and they held extreme religious views, and they formed communities um, and lived in a communal life. The, the Herodians were not religious per se, um, but they were more supportive of the government. Uh, they were the societal elites uh, that held on to more popular or political um, clout. You can think of those who hold influence for no other reason that they come from uh, families that have positions of political influence or wealth. The Herodians... Um, tended to look at Herod Antipas as God's man. They saw Herod as the person that God had put into that position so that the Jews would gain favor with the Romans. They saw Herod as a political hero of their day. The Pharisees were a political group that we read about the most in Scripture. They were very legalistic and and. and held to very rigid views on how to live their lives. And not only did they follow the Old Testament with great rigor, uh, they also had a large set of traditions that they added requirements to how to live their life and restrictions to religious life. They sought to live a life separate um, from unrighteousness. In in this way, they were fundamentalists of of Jesus' day. They developed a system of beliefs, uh, or or so they thought, designed to uh, keep them, uh, protect them from societal decline. And and they tended to be against the Roman government, especially when it came to uh, their opposition to Roman taxes. Uh, The extreme part of the Pharisees were called the Zealots. The Zealots were forceful in their opposition to the government and at times were willing to commit acts of violence in their opposition to the government. The Sadducees were minimalists. They held to the basic teachings of the law according to the Old Testament. That is to say, if it wasn't written in the first five books of the Bible, then it wasn't from God. Um, Thus, they they denied or rejected the oral tradition of the Pharisees. 
They also denied the resurrection. They denied angels. Um, they believed that men had a free will choice to be good or evil. And they were literalists when it came to the punishments of the Old Testament. They tended to be in support of the Roman government, and thus they tended to be more political than the Pharisees. The scribes also held a high view of Scripture. They were meticulous about following the letter of the law. This is in part due to their role in keeping accurate copies of Old Testament scrolls. They tended to be more educated and scholarly with regard to religious traditions. However, in spite of their high view of Scripture, they tended to line themselves with the Pharisees with regard to human traditions. They were also very much like the Pharisees in that the outward observant of religious practices was much more important than following the principles of love, mercy, and compassion. It's interesting that these three groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, that Jesus had the greatest conflict with these three groups for whom understanding and applying Scripture was the most important aspect of their lives. Because of their differing views with regard to tradition and government, they were in strong opposition to one another. However, when it came to Christ, they found something that they could unite against. And what is more, the Herodians, who were more political than religious, also found that they could unite with these more religious groups against Christ. It is in this context that Jesus chose to teach these four groups about love. The immediate context is that the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to get Jesus to say something against the government. And the Sadducees were attempting to trip up Jesus in his spiritual beliefs by presenting some impossible scenario related to the resurrection, which, by the way, they didn't believe in. The scribe took a path of trying to trip up Jesus uh, uh, with regard to religious practice. He, he asked Jesus, what was the most important command? I, I, I suspect that this scribe believed that no matter what position Jesus took, he would be aligning himself with one of these groups that were in opposition to each other. And so he had him trapped no matter what. We read in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. And in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 3 through 4, we read, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach, doc, uh, teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculation rather than God's plan which operates by faith. And in Titus chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, we read, this, is a, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. It would seem that these groups 
were very much devoted to foolish debates and disputes. In a sense, they were trying to draw Jesus into these debates as well. And it is on this occasion that Jesus introduces the greatest commandment. Imagine four groups that could not stand each other in most circumstances. United in their opposition to Christ is the moment of God's revelation of the most important command to love God and to love our neighbors. It was an unlikely crowd. It was a most unlikely circumstance. And yet Jesus sidesteps the religious and political debate to say that love is the most important focus. Let me just say that this is a very timely lesson for our generation. We seem to be overwhelmed by religious and political debate all around us. There is many who see that these matters of debate are the primary focus and importance of their lives. And yet, as you look over the landscape of these things, one thing that is obviously missing between these groups, there is no love. Missing from these conversations is humility, kindness, civility, patience, and compassion. Love is so far removed from these conversations that we actually celebrate rude and mocking remarks as winning the day. Slander and backbiting is the norm against those that disagree. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this, how we must discourage sin and witness against it and particularly the sin of slandering and backbiting. We must frown upon it, and by giving it an angry countenance, endeavor to put it out of countenance. Slanderers would not be so readily spoken as, if, as they are if they were not so readily heard. But good manners would silence the slanderer if he saw that his tales displeased the company. We should show ourselves uneasy if we heard a dear friend whom we value evil spoken of. The same dislike we should show of evil speaking in general. If we cannot otherwise reprove, we must do it by our looks. Slander and backbiting are an offense to God. And we read in Psalm 101 verse 5, I will destroy anyone who secretly slanders his neighbor, and I cannot tolerate anyone with haughty eyes or an arrogant heart. David is speaking against this type of behavior. It is this type of dialogue that is most unloving, and it is in the midst of this unloving, uncharitable, unkind dialogue that Jesus brings forth the most important command. Love God and love your neighbor. The, the scribe is asking Jesus, what is the great command? And Jesus, perfectly in tune with his audience, he answers with two Old Testament quotes. The first one we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It reads, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And in 
Leviticus, we read the second one, Leviticus 19, 18. It says, do not take revenge or bear grudge against the members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus leaves little doubt about what he is concluding. He says, there is no other command greater than these. It's astonishing to me that when we encounter people, uh, that, that there can be such uh, resistance when we love God and when we love our neighbor. But we must be careful. Because if we fall into hateful and slanderous ways, we risk being on the same side as the world that opposes God. You see, these groups that Jesus was saying these things to were not some fringe, antisocial God-haters. No, these were the religious and political leaders of his day. What exactly does it mean to love God? Notice Jesus says, with heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we are to love God. Now much could be made of each of these categories, and you may have heard a sermon, that a message that dives into each of these areas, but this list seems to convey the idea that with the totality of your being that we are to love God. Now, as long as I've been a believer, uh, I came to Christ, accepted Christ when I was nine years of age, I can honestly say I have yet to accomplish loving God with the totality of my being. I think this will be a pursuit that I will uh, pursue until the day that I pass away. This ideal of loving God with everything that I am is a high ideal that keeps me striving to become more and more the person of God that he calls me to be. What is more, this loving devotion to God is the fulfillment of God's word in me as by the Holy Spirit works in me to, do, to advance the kingdom of God. You, you see, as we strive to do good works by loving God and loving others, we fulfill our calling as Christians. We are to live sold-out lives to Christ and to glorify Him. You see, this love Jesus is talking about here is not just some fondness or affection. It is a devotion it is complete devotion, not to a set of beliefs, but to a person. That person is God. We are committed to a personal relationship with Him. And it is in this context where there is no other thing ahead of God that we truly glorify Him. To love God in this way is to glorify God. How do I glorify God? Brothers and sisters, we glorify God. In order to glorify Him, we must love Him. This is the fulfillment of all that we're created to be. And to put any other pursuit ahead of that is to place an idol over our hearts and mind. 
Uh, Jesus was not rebuking the religious leaders of his day for unholy conduct. No, the rottenness in their case was inside. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, we read, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. The deadness and impurity had a polluted heart, soul, and mind. True, they attempted to love God in their own strength with their words, but their unrighteousness was much deeper. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, we read, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Billy Graham said it this way, I want you to think about that for a moment. You draw close to Christ with your lips, with your profession, with your mouth, but your heart is far from him. Singing on Sunday morning, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And you're thinking about a deal you've got on Monday. You see, you're singing the songs of Zion, but your heart is still somewhere else. Is that true of you? How many of us are hypocrites? If you want to call it what it really is and what Jesus called it, because Jesus' great fight was with the religious leaders of his day. He did not fight with the sinners. He loved them. Ultimately, attempting to love God in our own strength is a pathway towards man-made religion. We formulate an idea of what we think God is or what he ought to be. And then we defend with great zeal our opinion about these things. And then we tend to gravitate towards others who have a similar opinion to our own. And further, we tend to dismiss with great intensity anyone, any man, any group that might disagree with us. This whole thing becomes self-reinforcing. It, is, it gives way to many man-made religions. It is interesting to note that for the most part, this process leads to an external focus on religion. In its extreme form, uh, appearing righteous becomes more important than being righteous. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 31, we read, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, go to work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I don't want to. But later changed his mind and went. Then a man went to the father and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered. But then he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. You see, this parable gets to the heart of the matter. The first son, unconcerned with appearing obedient to his father, plainly said that he did not want to work. Though later, he changed his mind. The transformation was in the mind. 
Did you catch that? The, the first son loved his father with his mind. And the end result was obedience. The second son, though, was more concerned about appearing obedient, obedient to the father. He said, I will serve with respect and dignity. He told his father that he would do what his father told him to do. However, he didn't go. The son loved him with his words, but not with his heart. If anything, he was more concerned with the appearances than he was with loving obedience. And it is this externalized religion that is far from loving God. It has the appearance of godliness, but it really denies the power. And in this parable, the tax collectors, those people that rejected their own people, and the prostitutes, those who uh, engage and chose to enter into sexual immorality, who later have a change of heart, are getting into heaven before those who say the right things. What are we to make of this? Well, let us turn back to the, our text here in, in Mark chapter 12. In verse 32 we read, Then the scribe said to them, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared question him any longer. We see here that the scribe was agreeing with Jesus' theology. In fact, he was considered wise in his theological understanding. Don't miss this point. The man of religion was saying the right thing and demonstrating a level of spiritual wisdom based on his agreement with the teachings of Christ. And yet Jesus makes this statement. You are not far from the kingdom of God. It is interesting to note that this outward display, this verbal agreement with Jesus, was enough to bring the scribe near the kingdom of God, but not into the kingdom of God. In this statement, Jesus both acknowledged that understanding the way, of God, way to God is important, but also that entering the kingdom of God was much more than just having a good theology. So what is missing? Well, I think we discover what's missing in the subsequent verses there in Mark chapter 12. Let us read from verse 35 and 37. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, How can scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And a large crowd was listening to him with delight. You see, the scribes had an incomplete knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. They understood 
that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. However, they didn't understand that the Messiah would also come from heaven. Further, they didn't understand that the Messiah was the very Son of God. You know, this question of who is Jesus Christ is vital to our faith. Do we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, come to take away the sins of the world? This theological belief is the bedrock of our faith and was missing from the scribe. But I said there was two things. The other thing is a misplaced affection. The second issue that we see there is in verses 38 through 40. He, said also, he also said in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor and banquets. They devour widows' houses and they say long prayers for show. These will receive harsher judgment. You see, the scribes loved nice clothes, special attention. They loved popularity. They loved being honored. They loved being the center of attention of their position. They were putting on a show for people. Their love was rooted in the elevation of self. If it made them look good, they did it all the more. And in this way, they have failed to love God. But more than that, as the love of God was very far from them, also missing was the love of neighbor. Notice, Jesus says, they devour widows' houses. It, it was oppression and not love that Jesus identified. There was no love for the poor and vulnerable. But more than neglect, it was actually oppression that was their action. A, a verse that bears repeating is Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. It says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, the scribe didn't have a doctrinal problem. He had a heart problem. We can say things that are theologically true, but if we neglect the love of God and the love of neighbor, we demonstrate that God's love is not in us. If God's love is not in us, then we are near, but not yet in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have not come to a place where surrendering our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength to love our God. We just hold back just a little bit. Maybe we love nice clothes, special attention, popularity, attention in the same way that the scribes did. Or maybe we've placed some other idol ahead of God that we're unwilling to part with. The first commandment in the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3-6. through six. It says, Do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on earth below or the waters under the earth. 
Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. God's love is towards those who keep his commands and love him. This prohibition is really just a negative statement of loving God. If, if we love God, then we do not set any idols up for worship. Notice that these idols are, are anything in the heavens, on earth, or below the earth that we devote ourselves to, that we worship. One, one final note before we wrap up this message this morning. I want you to notice the statement do the, 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 the statement that follows the do not have other gods beside me. We read that last statement that God shows his faithful love to a thousand generation of those who love him and keep his commands. You know, I can't make it any more plain than the words of Christ we find in Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 through 40 it says and he said to them love the Lord your God with all your soul with all your mind this is the greatest and most important command and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets depend on these Two commands. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, we come before you, we confess that we have come so short in loving you and loving others around us. And so, Lord, it is out of a heart of regret and, and repentance that we desire to have a change of heart this morning. That we might live lives that are devoted, completely devoted to you. And that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would bring your love into our hearts, into our lives. That you would use us as a conduit to show love to the world around us. So Lord, we make this commitment to you this morning to love you and to love our neighbors. We pray these things in Jesus' name.